The Blessed Trinity is the central mystery of our faith. That's what the Catechism states in paragraph 1, 127, and so on. And we begin Mass after the entrance antiphon, or hymn, by praying in the name of the Most Blessed Trinity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. And as Christians, overwhelmingly, this has been the custom of prayer since Christ ascended into heaven. In the Orthodox Church, and all the Orthodox churches, this is continued tradition as it is in the Latin Rite Catholic Church. And this central mystery is at the heart and the focus of our worship at the Mass. If we listen to the prayers, they're directed to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. If you listen to all the prayers, you'll see this common element. Even the beginning of the Gloria reminds us throughout that this is a teaching on and a reminder to us of this central mystery. And again in the Creed it's restated, and again after the elevation of the host and the precious blood of our Lord in the great doxology, all of these reminders. And yet this central mystery of our faith can be sometimes set aside. Might it be because we don't have an ability to understand? Yeah. To a great degree, understanding the most sublime mystery of God's essence is something we fail on a human level to be able to do. It's why the church in her history spent many many centuries trying to determine the best way to express the truth of the Trinity. And as we heard in the Gospel today, Christ promises us the Spirit that will come to us and help to make clear the truth that the Father has given to Him. And so we can be forgiven for our human inabilities. But if we listen to the Psalms, it's kind of ironic. We're created in the image and likeness of God in a way in which no other part of creation is. Nobody can say they're truly the imago dei, that is the image and likeness of God, except the human person. Yet, we hear in the Psalms that the sheep, the oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the seas give praise to God, hearkening back to Genesis when God created the world and saw that it was good. So if rocks can give praise to God, why does man struggle Seems kind of foolish when you think about it, but there's a number of reasons why. First is that we look at our first parents and we recognize that in creation we have our first clue about why we struggle. What happened in the fall? We didn't know how to self-identify. That's the common phrase used today of a mental construct, supposedly, that helps us understand who we are. God in his essence revealed himself in Exodus 3.14 when he said, I am. God is. There's no self-construct about that. He is. But we, as human beings, receptive to God, were obstinate to accept that we are creatures and not creators. That's the fundamental identity of human beings. 
that we are not God. Now, we can fashion the world in our image and likeness, and technology has helped us do great things. But at the end of the day, we still find ourselves wanting because we've not created out of nothing as God has done, but we've created only with that which already exists. So that fundamental problem understanding who God is begins with us, not with God, but to understand right relationship, that I am God's beloved son. I'm God's beloved daughter. What joy this is, that our identity is not found in some sociological experiment or some irrational displacement of who we think we could be, but in fact of who we are, created in his image and likeness. A second thing that makes us wonder, well, who is this God? Is that history has proven there's a lot of thoughts about this, right? It, at least in the modern era, we've kind of consolidated most of the world's religions into six or seven different camps. But historically, every culture that arose had its own system of gods. We call this pantheism, paganism, and in different ways, these elements still exist in many cultures today. But overwhelmingly, the shift from many gods to one god was ushered in by the Jewish faith, to be monotheists. So why the Trinity? Why do we need more? Well, we don't deny that the Trinity is one God, three persons united in their substance. But what we understand is that we are created, as Genesis 1, 26 and 27 remind us, in His image and likeness. And the word used there is created in our image and likeness, a subtle foreshadowing of the doctrine of the Trinity that we see throughout the New Testament, our image and likeness. And if we think about our human experience, this is very practical. We're not created to live in an island, even though oftentimes I know dads really feel like being alone, and moms probably more so, but we're created for communion with one another. This comes from our fundamental identity in God, created in His image and likeness as Father, Son, and Spirit, an infinite and eternal relation of love. So again, to look at who we are in relation to God, the Trinity, as that first letter of John, chapter 4, verse 8, reminds us, God is love, and we are created in and for that love. So knowing that it's not many gods, but one God, expressing in three persons that perfect union of love. And we're created to be in love with that blessed Trinity. The final obstacle, beyond misunderstanding who we are, beyond not having an understanding of how God reveals himself in a community of love, I would argue is that it's just easier not to think about the Trinity. Right? We have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're East Texans, by golly. We like to have our personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are so grateful to God to have so many Protestants who live in and with us in our lives to remind us that that is of primary importance, that our heart is made for God in relation with our Lord Jesus. But this sometimes overshadows the Father, and the Holy Spirit, who are 
equally dynamic, who are equally God, who are equally desirous of being part of our lives. But that means we have to foster devotion to the Father and the Spirit. And in some ways, the church has not helped you, I'll admit in this, because we only have one solemnity of the Trinity. We only have one Pentecost. We don't even have an octave of Pentecost anymore. We had eight days of Pentecost in a row. And so it's easy to neglect in some ways the love of the Father and the love of the Holy Spirit. Because as a church, we don't foster this as deeply. But here's the key to that. If you love Christ, you'll fall more deeply in love with the Father and the Spirit. Why? Because He is the way in which the Trinity is revealed to us. Falling in love with Christ, falling in love especially with his sacred heart, because his sacred heart reveals the love of the Father, that we see the mercy of God that burns like a furnace for us. And those drops of blood come to us in the gift of God's reconciliation through the power of the Holy Spirit. No, the dynamic of the Trinity is always at work in us if we're willing to see it with open eyes. So this day as we praise and thanksgiving for the great blessing of being created in the image and likeness of God, of being called into union with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us proclaim this central mystery by the way we express ourselves in prayer. Without shame that before our meals we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That we touch those parts of our body that correspond to the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that we live as temples truly of the Spirit where he dwells within us and to reveal the truth. Dear brothers and sisters, as we approach the altar where truth is given to us in the flesh, let us be mindful The Holy Trinity desires to dwell with us. And he calls us through that Eucharistic communion into his life as Father, Son, and Spirit.